we doing this? Really? Wait for it. Are we doing this? Wait for it. Ow! What the fuck? WTF. And it's also, eh, what the fuck? What's wrong with me? It's time for WTF. What the fuck? With Mark Marin. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucking Alex? What the fucking avians? What the fucking nucks? What the fuckles? What the fuckles? I think someone just sent me that one. I don't think I've ever said that one. What the fuckles? All right, well, look, this is Mark Marin. This is WTF. Thank you for listening. I'm happy you're here. I'm in my garage. It's a nice day in Los Angeles. It's been a little cool out, and I welcome it. I welcome the the very difficult winters in L.A. where it gets as low as maybe 50, 53 degrees. Just uh, hard to, you know, get up in the morning. Got to go out and, you know, get the car warmed up. But I like it. It's just, uh, just cool enough. And I've been through plenty of shitty East Coast winters. I paid my dues in the snow walking outside going, fuck, there's no way that car is going anywhere today. All right, first of all, Larry King is on the show today, and it, it, it did not go exactly how I envisioned it. Now, that happens a lot, but this was a little, a little difficult uh, getting into it. I'll explain that in a minute. Uh, what do I want to tell you? Oh, yeah. This Saturday, November 30th, I will be at the Nerd Melt for a Movember show. It's a charity show. A lot of charity going around this time of year. So uh, be nice. Uh, be nice. We just started shooting on Wednesday. I think I've talked to you once since then. We've done three days of shooting for the second season of Marin, and it is intense. It is insane. It is spectacular. Uh, I'm having a good time. I'm actually having a better time uh, this year. I'm working with great people. I, I'm not going to tell you any stories. I'm not going to tell. I'm not going to give you any idea of what's going to happen in the season. But I can say that uh, that the the amazing and inspired and radically brilliant Rick Shapiro uh, did a character uh, on one of the episodes. Me and Rick worked together. It was great. It's always great to to look Rick in the face and and do what you know to react to Rick. That, that should be a movie. React to Rick Shapiro. Just have Shapiro walking down the street and have people react to him. Uh, we did a great scene. He was amazing. He's, a, he's doing well, if you are concerned. Rick is great. Also did a scene with uh, Al Brown. This is kind of great. If you're a Wire fan, uh, Al Brown played Major Valchek. A very frightening, very intense, very angry character, but uh, yeah, insidious and charming. And he, I did a scene with him. He came out. It was great. And uh, Matt Bronger was on set. Uh, we did a scene. Dave Anthony is a recurring character in the show. So Dave and I are working together. Uh, there's some other guests coming up, but I feel like I'm on the verge of telling you too much. All I can say is that it's going to be intense. Uh, it's going to be a, 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 a busy few months, but the scripts are good. And I'm in good spirits. I feel like I'm getting the hang of it a little more. So let's get into some other information. As I said, Larry King is coming up. I wrote this on a napkin. Where's that napkin? Where is it? I'll read it to you. I'll read right off the napkin. God forbid I wrote it on my phone. No, I wrote it on a napkin. And it's actually a napkin that's got some food particles on it. Uh, I wrote down, I don't like the hassle of entry, but once I'm in, I'm good. On all levels, that's on there. The hassle of entry. That is the key to my anxiety. That is the key. That is the portal into the dread is that how much can you talk yourself out of before you even fucking do it? How much, how much do you want to do? But when you sit there and go, oh God, then we're going to have to 
Got to drive over there. I don't even know if there's parking in that area. Who, do, what do we got to do? Do we need? Is our name on the list, or do we? Do you just? Do we have to get online? Uh, is it? It's it's probably going to be too late. Uh, what time do we have to be there? Should we get there early? Should I get there tomorrow? Yesterday? Should I get there a day ahead? Just the dread of that. The of of converging on a point. It's like travel. It's like oh, I got to fly tomorrow. That means I got to get everything is like getting on a plane to me. It's like I got to drive to the airport. I got to park. Or I was like, I got to take cab there. I got to get there an hour, hour and a half early. Is TSA? Again? I mean, everything is like that. Sex is even like that. It's like, all right, so we're going to, what are we going to do? We're going to uh, do that and then this, and then we're going to get that in there. And then everything's good. Once, once you get in there, then it's good. Once you're in, it's good. But that's with everything. Getting to from point A to point B. I mean, once I'm at point B and I'm in, then, you know, that's a variable. That's it. Then then you've got C and that can only, that's going to be what it's going to be. Can I repeat that? I don't like the hassle of entry, but once I'm in, I'm good on all levels. That's that's a metaphor for my life. Once I'm in, it's right. All right, I'm good. Don't move. Just give me a second to get used to it. Don't, don't move. Just give me a second to get used to it. <laughs> all right. So somebody sent me this. I don't know who sent. People were sending me a lot of stuff. Thank you for the records. Always thank you for the records. I've been listening to a lot of... Re- Dude, this fucking kid, Ty Siegel. Who the fuck is Ty Siegel? I got to find this guy, Ty Siegel. I mean, Jesus Christ, man. That Fuzz record? Go get go get Fuzz. All right? Just get Fuzz. Well, I read this article that someone sent me in reference to uh, to my uh, my ice cream riff. Researchers concluded this by a guy. This by a guy named Andrew Howe. I don't know where it came from, but I learned that on uh, when I did Real News Radio to to uh, cite the author. The title of the article: "Ice Cream as Addictive as Drugs." Says new study: Everyone knows that a spoonful of ice cream leaves you wanting more, but research indicates that it may be addictive. It may be. It may truly be addictive as illegal drugs. No shit. Who didn't know that? Okay, you can simplify and say, yeah, sugar's addicting. No, man, this is this is important information. The cravings, researchers concluded that the cravings for the dessert were similar to those experienced by drug addicts. Being a drug addict, I can honestly say that this is true. If it wasn't for my paralyzing fear of fat, I'd be eating ice cream right fucking now, man. Overeating high fat or high sugar foods appeared to change how the brain responded and in turn downgraded the mental reward. God damn it. There's never going to be enough ice cream. That's what that means. That's what that means. Downgraded, downgraded the mental reward. See, that's the fucking, that is the rub of being an addict. You know, you get it, you eat it, you're like, fuck yeah, this is it. This is how I want to feel all the time. And then you do it again the next day and you're like, oh, I'm still a little itchy. I need to shove more of that shit into my face, into my veins, into my mouth, into my eyes. I need more, more dopamine. Nope. See, that that is the injustice. That is the horrible thing. That is why, you know, you got to be comfortable with yourself <laughs> because you ain't going to get it from a pint. God damn it. The researchers had already conducted interviews with teenagers, all of whom were healthy weight, about their recent habits, how much they crave certain foods. Their brains were then scanned with a functional magnetic resonance imaging machine, an MRI, while being shown a picture of a milkshake before being given a physical shake. The study found that all the participants wanted the real shake, but those who ate the most ice cream over the previous few weeks enjoyed it less. What a ripoff. Got to temper it, man. 
You got to temper it. You don't want to get strung out on B and J. You know what I'm saying? Whew. You don't want to get strung out. You can, yeah, quote, you could be continually trying to match the earlier experience. Yeah, that is it in a nutshell. <laughs> Chasing that fucking dragon pint after pint. Just a sad, crying man surrounded by empty ice cream containers. Why is there no justice in life? Why can't every pint be like the first time I put ice cream in my face? Oh, well, people. You know, try to temper it. I haven't had any lately. I kind of had to pull out because once I start eating ice cream, then I'm eating cookies and then I'm eating a lot of cereal with sugar and then I'm eating cake. Like I have ice cream one night, the next day it's like, oh, fuck. God, I just want taste, man. Just, uh, just give me a, can I just have a taste? Just a little, little something, a little something, maybe a cookie. How about a little sliver of that cake? Just, just give me that back part with the icing on it. Yeah, that's all I need. That's all I need. Yeah, I'm, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. Then I'm out in the middle of the night looking for cookie dealers. So Larry King. I get an opportunity to interview Larry King. Uh, Larry King is Larry King. Larry King's like a, he's like a basic element. He's a basic media element. Uh, it's like a, he's one of the things that seems to have always existed uh, as he is. He's, he's pure. He's Larry King. I got the opportunity. I didn't. Uh, I figured, okay, I'll do it. Is he coming over? No, he's not. I got to go to his house. Okay, I'll go to his house. Uh, it, it didn't really. It, it didn't really turn out uh, the way I wanted it to, uh, for for reasons that will become clear. Uh, I don't think he knew who I was, and uh, that's fine. Look, I'm humble. I get it. A lot of people don't know who I am, but I was going to his house, and there was an issue when I got to his house, and uh, this is what happened. Uh, at the door. Hello, how are you? How are you, Mr. King? You're late. What do you mean? It's supposed to be 10 o'clock. I had 10 15. How long are you going to be? All right, let's go. Well, I was going to do an hour, but you don't. Maybe 45. All right. Sorry. Wherever you want. Where are you going to do in there? Okay. If, you, if you're not into it, I don't have to do it. No, I'll do it. Set up. I'll just take a set up. Five minutes. So, so that's what I was dealing with. That, that, was, that was the tone of the situation. Yeah, I wasn't late. I got the information, but like right away I was like, oh man, you know, we, we can do this another time or not at all if that's what you want. You know, I, I just want to have a conversation. So that's what I dealt with at the door. And now, and, that, and then I was sitting in his living room. I was just sitting there and uh just waiting for him i set up took me the few minutes that it, i told him it would take him and i'm just sitting there and uh here here was uh, and, and some of you know i i'll i'll, I'll talk to myself <laughs> if i'm in the car and i got the mic on or i'm in someone's living room waiting to talk to them so here's here's me uh talking to me apparently uh, while i was waiting for larry So I'm sitting here in Larry King's house. Was, he thought I was supposed to be here at 10. I came at 10.15 because that's what I had, and he was mad. So I told him it would take me five minutes to set up. That was five minutes ago, so I don't know, what, I don't know what's going to happen here. But um, 
I guess we'll see. I'm just waiting. I told them we didn't have to do it. Uh, but uh, that's that's where I'm at right now. I don't know if he's making me wait as punishment. But I don't know that this is... Uh, if this is going to uh, work out. Because I'm, uh, you know... I can get angry too. Hello, sir. I apologize for the miscommunication. Mark, right? It is Mark. Sure. Okay. It's nice to meet you. Same here. And I apologize for being late. It's all right. It's all right. Uh-huh. We're gonna <laughs> we're gonna be all right. Yeah. So, as a as a guy who interviews people, I'm a guy who interviews people, and uh, you know, I don't uh, I don't have a particular style, but for you, what what is it that you're looking for immediately? Information. Yeah. Uh. I think the purpose of an interview is to draw the guest out. Yeah. Listen to answers. I think listening is as important as what the question you ask. I think uh, you have to be intensely curious. I can't give someone curious. I couldn't teach interviewing. Sure. You have to be intensely curious to begin with. I'm insatiably curious. Been that way all my life. When I was a kid, I'd get on a bus and ask the bus driver why he wanted to drive a bus. Uh, you don't want to sit next to me on an airplane. I'm asking questions all the time. So basically, my 56 years in the business, yeah. they're paying me for what I would be doing anyway. So you were the kind of kid that, uh, you know, you walk down the street, you'd see a, a guy just working, or you walk into a diner, and you want to know what... what why they do, what yeah. they do. I, I was a why kind of person, who, what, where, when, why. I listened to answers. I left my ego at the door. Um I think if my whole career, if I used the word I five times, it would be a lot. I, I never felt I was important I, except as a transmitter. I was a conduit to the audience. Mm-hmm. I try to ask the kind of questions that people I thought would be interested in. I. Uh, when did you realize that, though? When did you understand that about yourself, that you were, were going to let your ego get out of the way? I don't know when it happened. I... Uh, I thought I'd be a sports announcer. I was always an avid sports fan. I wanted to be a broadcaster all my life. I never wanted anything else. When did you first realize that? <clears throat> I think when I was six years old. I would uh, listen to the radio and imitate radio announcers. I would. Who was your favorite radio announcer? Oh, I liked Red Barber doing the Dodgers. I yeah. thought Godfrey was a hero. I got to work with both of them later in life. And where'd you I grow would, up? I was Brooklyn, yeah. New York. And I would go around to radio stations. I would go on watch radio shows. I used to pretend I was an announcer. Yeah. Honest, I would go into elevators in buildings where there were radio stations, and I would say to the elevator operator, you know, third floor, please. And I just wanted to be an announcer. I, I, I'd had a bunch of odd jobs until about age 22 when a friend recommended I go to Miami. I thought I'd be a sports announcer. I was a disc jockey newsman, started on a small station. You grew up and in... And then one day... Yeah. Uh... I was uh, hired to do a show at a restaurant, Pumperdick's Restaurant. I did a morning, I did my own disc jockey show, and then I'd go to the restaurant and do an hour show from the restaurant. And one day, Bobby Darren walked in, and Mac the Knife was the number one song in America. I had no idea he would be coming. Yeah. And uh, so I couldn't plan for him. 
And I got to like that. I liked the impromptuness of it. I liked uh, off the top of the head. I I liked being to start cold. I would like to do interviews where someone walked into the room. I didn't know who they were. Sure. And then st- famous people started to come in. Jimmy Hoffa. Jimmy Hoffa. Ed, Ed Sullivan. Yeah. Oh, Danny Thomas. A slew of famous people. And then the Miami Herald started writing about it. So I fell into interviewing. I never really thought about my style much. I never, I never said to myself, I'm going to leave my ego at the door. I just felt that I was so curious about what the guest was that the guest counted to me. Uh, I wasn't irrelevant, but I'd be there tomorrow. Sure. My name was on the show. Sure. So the guest counted. Did you ever get uh, intimidated or frightened at, at times during interviews where, where you didn't know if it was going your way or, or where you felt like you were... Uh, the only time I was ever intimidated was the first time I did Frank Sinatra because I'd been such a fan of his and Jackie Gleason arranged for the interview and I was nervous, but I got over that in a minute. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a minute. Um, first time in the White House, a little kind of in awe of the White House. But that goes away because you, I learned a long time, in fact, I learned my first day on the air, that the uh, person whose show it is, mm-hmm. is in control. Mm-hmm. So whether I'm at the White House, whether it's the president or the mayor or the carpenter sure. or Frank Sinatra, mm-hmm. I'm in control. <laughs> you're in control of yeah. this interview, not me. Right. So once you know that, once yeah. you know you're in control, there's nothing to be nervous about. Right. Right? Yeah. Okay, because you're in control. And also, don't you find that when you talk to people that they become people very quickly, d- despite what you may think of them or their public personality? Oh, sure. The, the mic disappears. The camera disappears. I never thought about how am I doing. Yeah. I never thought about yesterday's show or tomorrow's show. Today, I go always in the moment. Yeah. I felt right in the moment, the moment I was doing it. The first day I was on the air, I was very nervous. And nothing was coming out of my mouth. And I can remember it to this day. It was May of 1957, a beautiful really? morning. And I couldn't think of anything to say. And I thought I'd, my whole career was over. <laughs> and the general manager kicked open the door and he said, uh, this is a communications business. Yeah. You better communicate. And what I did was, <laughs> swear to God, I yeah. turned on the microphone right. and said, yeah. this is my first day on the air. I've wanted this all my life. I've been sitting here for three, four minutes, scared to death. Yeah. So I just want to let you know that I'm nervous. <laughs> so what I did then, yeah. that, that this is in retrospect, right? I brought the audience into my dilemma. Sure. Okay. Then nothing could go wrong after that because if I miscued a record, yeah. goofed up a commercial, right? It's my first day. Right? right. And they knew it. So once they know that, yeah. What am I going to be nervous about? Right. Because I've taken them into my situation. Right. And that was like uh, the last time you used I. That was yeah, it. Yeah, that was one of the last. And also, I've never, uh, after that, I, was, yeah. I got to say I was never nervous again. Uh, my first day on television, I wasn't nervous. I do a lot of speaking. I do comedy tours. I saw some I, comedy, yeah. I tell funny stories. I, I like all of it. And I've never gone on a stage frightened because I know from that first day. It ain't brain surgery. Yeah. If the story's funny, they're going to laugh. Right. If they're not going to laugh, it ain't the end of the world. It, that's a hard one to learn, though. No? I mean, did, I don't did know that you learned it. I just... I, I just. You were uh, able to frame it that way I, early I on. don't have the confidence in life that I have in broadcasting or on a stage because I think it's a control issue. Mm-hmm. I have two young boys here, 14 and 13. 
One just started high school. One's still in junior high school. Yeah. I had to get up this morning and take one to work, and one didn't want to have breakfast, and I had to drop them <laughs> off. And now I don't know what my wife's going to say today. And then I got a lunch to go to. And I, but I can't control that. However, yeah. if I were broadcasting today, right. I can control that. <laughs> so the best part of my day is when I'm working. The easiest part of my day is yeah. by far when I'm working. Yeah. Because I can't control life, but I can control the situations of radio, television, speaking. How, I'm in control. Sure. How is it for you now bringing up young kids? Well, I, I have three grown. Yeah. I have a stepson. Yeah. And then I have two children. I'm the age of a grandfather. Right. But I'm a father. Yeah. So I go to, go to baseball games. I got to take kids to school. Grandfathers don't do that. Right. Someone said the best part about being a grandfather is you get to go home. <laughs> you don't. Get I don't it. get to go home. Um, is this the most hands-on you've ever been with all oh, your kids? Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh yeah, because I have more time with them. Yeah. Is it rewarding? I'm not running around making it. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a good and bad to it. The great part is to watch them grow and to see they're both very athletes mm-hmm. and uh, both kind of bright. Very different mm-hmm. uh, night and day, except mm-hmm. for being good athletes. Mm-hmm. There's not one thing they have in common. Definitely. And not one. Yeah. And uh, so watching that develop, <clears throat> and then you think of your age, you know, and I, I was, I, we go to all the Dodger games and I'm sitting the other night with my son, and I, I had a vision that he'd be playing with the Dodgers, and he's 14. And then I was saying to myself, oh, wait a second. Logically, if he went in after high school and he played a couple of years in the minors, Maybe he'd come up to the majors when he's 24. Yeah. I would be then going to be 90. <laughs> so my fear was, would I be around? Right. And so you had the problem of aging is you want to be around to see him grow up. And yeah. You hope you're going to be around. Yeah. Was it was it your choice to, to have kids at this age? No, I didn't think I'd have. I just married a younger woman, and uh, she's much younger than I, and children develop, You know, children came. But you're, it's a gift. It is a gift, and I uh, watched both born. I didn't watch my other children born. They didn't allow you in. Well, wasn't there, didn't you have a son that you didn't really meet for a long time? Yeah. Oh, that was a great story. Yeah? What happened? Yeah. Well, I, I was married to this woman for a short period of time, and we broke up. She said she was pregnant. I didn't know if it was mine. Mm-hmm. And then years later, I learned I had a child, and he was in his early 30s. And we got to meet, and he's as if I raised him all my life. It's, really? Yeah. So there was no contention initially? No, it was amazing. And he met his brother and sister, and um, uh, he grew up with my name, you uh-huh. know, Larry King Jr. He grew up in Miami. He watched me broadcast Dolphin games. Before he knew you were his father? Oh, he knew it was my father, but he had a stepfather. Right. Was, Why did he wait so long to, to meet you, do you think? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, it just happened. And huh. then his mother was dying, mm. and she called and said, you know, you have a son. You ought to meet him, and he's about to get married. And I went down to Florida. I then was living in Washington. I sent a lawyer down first, you know, to, and he called me up, and he said, uh, you can take a DNA, but, but you're going to be throwing away money because this is your kid. <laughs> and I went down. Obviously, he was my kid, and now he's, you know, he's like, Nothing. Yeah. Like I feel like I raised him. Yeah. So it, it, it's a it's a great story. Yeah. And it's one um, I don't know if I'm proud of it that I, you know, I sh- did I shirk responsibility. I wasn't sure I even had a kid. Yeah. But she said I she had that I. Had but you didn't know. I I know the new not new. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. And does he have kids now? Oh yeah, I have three grandchildren. He has twins. 
That's that's Another a good. And then my son has daughters. My daughter's not married. Uh huh. How did you grow up? My father died when I was nine and a half. I grew up with a bunch of friends, three of whom are still my best friends. Um, I grew up in Brooklyn, went to Dodger games. Jewish neighborhood at the time? Yeah, Jewish and Italian. Yeah. We didn't know what a Protestant was. Yeah. Um, Were you religious? The family? Uh, I was bar mitzvahed. Uh, my mother kept a kosher home. Oh, yeah. But I lost that uh, a long time ago. I uh, My father's death changed my life. I was very close to him, and then I lost interest in school. I never went to college. My younger brother went through law school. Um, Is he still around? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's 76. Yeah. Guy's got good genes. Uh, surprisingly, because my father died at 46 of a sudden heart attack, huh. and uh, my mother lived to 76. I always thought that I would die at 46 because he died at 46. He smoked, I smoked. Oh, is that, uh, isn't that interesting when you're young? Lucky, I had a lucky heart attack. I was uh, 53. I was smoking three packs a day. You miss them? The cigarettes? Uh, no. No. Uh, but if I had an hour to live, I'd smoke yeah. <laughs> uh, because it was a great habit. Uh, however, I got scared to death and uh, never smoked again. I had a heart attack on in February of 1987. And uh, through this driving home, my daughter drove me home from the hospital. And the cigarettes that I'd gone to the hospital with that were in my pocket, mm -hmm. I threw into the Potomac River and uh, never smoked again and never reached for a cigarette nor wanted one. Now, a psychiatrist friend of mine told me that what happened to me, fortunately, was I got scared to death, so much so that if I had, I never you know, chewed gum or held toothpicks, and that if I had a desire, yeah, the fright in me was so great yeah. that it went away. So I, I didn't reach for cigarettes in my pocket, that's spectacular. I, 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 it was unbelievable. I was. I don't even take credit for it. I was. It was by osmosis. The heart attack. What did, I mean when you had uh, the bypass and everything else. Five months. Five, I had the heart attack in February and the bypass in December. Like, what was the feeling after you get a bypass? It seems like I don't know anyone that's had one, but there's a vulnerability that you feel, a fragility. Well, you feel a. Uh, first, the the, the the amazing thing is you have the weeps. Uh, yeah. Because uh, a stranger moved your heart uh they, that's they, a real thing yeah they move your heart because they put you on a heart lung machine sure. the whole process of they the, now a lot of it's much simpler yeah this was you know in 1987 but i'm still close with my surgeon yeah uh, i started the larry king cardiac foundation we help people who can't afford to to get heart help uh-huh and he's the same surgeon he did letterman cronkite he did regis uh, but you get choked up about things no, right what after. happened is, yeah. after a couple of weeks, I went down to Florida, and this was funny. I was on the plane with Alexander Haig, yeah. and uh, we were in the first class, and he had had heart surgery, uh -huh. and I started to, to cry. I didn't know why I was crying. <laughs> and the stewardess came over, and he just said, don't pay any attention. It's the weeps, and it, it must be the vulnerability, uh -huh. what happened was. And then I got real healthy. I, I lost weight. I... Most people, when they start, stop smoking, gain weight. I lost weight. I took care of myself. I watched what I ate. Still? Yeah, I don't exercise as much as I used to, but I walk a lot. Any mm -hmm. chance I get to walk, I walk. And the food, you, you, you're careful I with food? I, I, I'm not super careful, but sure. I, I'm I'm 5'11". I weigh 160. That's good. I was 190. Yeah. 
That's the most I weighed was 109. I think when I had the heart attack, I weighed 100. So you stopped going to the deli? I have my own. Uh, we have our own bagel store now. It's called Brooklyn Water Bagel. It's oh, that's you. Franchise. Well, I got the Beverly Hills uh-huh, franchise. Uh-huh. I'm their spokesperson. So in return, I got the Beverly Hills franchise. So you don't need they, to go to Nate Niles anymore? No, I go there what, once a month for some matzo brai because uh, matzo brai was one of my favorite foods. Did your mother make it? Sure. Yeah, my mother made it. It was nothing like Jewish cooking. Uh, I'm st- in fact, uh, a chef was here the other day. We did a TV show for uh-huh. my internet show. Which chef? Uh, um, Stone. Uh-huh. Chris Stone. Uh-huh. And... Um, uh, he was here, and he was you know, going over all the delicacies uh-huh. that he cooks and everything. Yeah. And I said to him, um, oh, are you going to cook a meat? Yeah. And I said, I like it. Well done. Uh-huh. And he goes, I-, I can't cook that. <laughs> I said, well, just keep cooking it. Yeah. <laughs> I, can't, I can't. I will not yeah. cook that. Right. And I said, why won't you cook that? Because he said, that's not food. Right. That's, that's, that's like a, a container you're eating. A, right. I said, no. It's my food. Uh-huh. I like, I hate red meat. Yeah. I was raised, I just raised, I can't stand to see meat that's red. Yeah. So I'm I'm kosher cooking. I like, I have no religion at all. Yeah. My wife's a devout Mormon. Devout? I, devout. She goes to church every Sunday and the children, I we had an agreement when we got married since yeah. I have no religion. Yeah. Uh, that she could raise the children. I think it's good ethics. Is she my raising boy, them Mormon? Yeah, my boy goes to Catholic school, Notre Dame High School. And I'm glad they get grounded in a good faith. I have no... I lost my faith in God a long time ago. and uh, Why? The more I interviewed religious people. Yeah, but was there a moment? I never got answers. No. <laughs> no, I know. You know I, <laughs> they, couldn't, they couldn't tell you for sure? that well, there was the, a, I, I'm a person. Of, yeah. uh, I, I have to know no. And... Uh, if you're a messenger of God, I would ask them, all right, you know the old story, God gave man free will, so uh-huh. he couldn't stop Hitler. Uh-huh. Okay, uh, all right, I'll buy that. He couldn't stop Hitler. How about Katrina? Uh-huh. That wasn't man's wish, right? Man didn't start Katrina. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. And they don't answer it, so they always say the same. Uh, we, uh, we question not the ways of the Lord. Come on. Right. I question the ways of the Lord. Then I remember when I was a kid, while I'm a social Jew, I love the, I like being Jewish, I like Jewish food, Jewish humor. I gravitate toward Jewish people. I right. Like, I like Israel. I like the, but the God of the Old Testament, I didn't like him. Uh, slay my enemies. Come sure. on. Sure, sure. I thought he was barbaric. Yeah. And I didn't like him. Yeah. And he wanted me to fear him. Yeah. And you're teaching me love and fear at the same time. And the Christian faith, I could never bar. No, could never but what about faith without God? Is it possible? Faith in what? In just a human's goodness? I oh, mean, I, I guess I, have, I, don't know, I wouldn't call it faith. You know, yeah. I think it uh, probably came from the Bible. The, the do unto others is, is the only law you need. Yeah. Right. Right. If you, in fact, you don't need any law in the books, but do unto others. Do unto others covers cheating, income tax, red light, murder. Yeah. 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 That's a good one. Everything is covered. Don't lie. I think is what do unto uh, others as you would have them do unto you. Don't pass the red light. Yeah. Right. Don't cheat on your income tax. Yeah. Don't screw around with people. I think Carlin did a big bit on the. Yeah. 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 George was a friend of mine, and uh, 
we went over that a lot. About, you know. Well, you know, there's that great joke about the rabbi, you know, in terms because I, I was brought up Jewish as well. And uh, I don't I don't really believe in God. But, you know, the joke about the rabbi walking down the street and it starts raining and then the, the water is raising up about two feet and some guys come by and, uh, you know, in a car and they're like, get in the car, we'll take you to safety. The rabbi's like, no, no, God will save me. Then the water's up to his neck and he's treading water a little bit. And some guys come by in a boat and say, rabbi, get in the boat. You know, and he goes, don't worry, God will save me. And then now he can't tread water anymore. It's so high. The buildings are covered with water. Helicopter comes down. They throw a ladder out. I said, Rabbi, get on the ladder. And the rabbi goes, no, God will save me. And he drowns. And he gets to heaven. And he says to God, why didn't you save me? And God says, I sent a car. I sent a boat. I sent- <laughs> <laughs> it's a tricky thing yeah. how you interpret that stuff. I know. But I, 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 you know I, I say when your time is up, your time is up. Well, if you're on an airplane, yeah. what if the pilot's time is up? <laughs> You know what? I didn't have anything to do with that. Jesus Christ! Yeah, maybe you're all. He can't say Jesus Christ, right. which is, by the way, you know how he got his name. How? Uh, it was it was in the manger, uh-huh. and uh, they were trying to figure out a name. Yeah. And Joseph stood up yeah. and hit his head on the top, and he said, <laughs> "Jesus Christ, yeah. that stuck." It's that stinks. That I like that. Got kind of rhythm. Yeah, it does. You know, got a little five catch letters to it. in the first word, six in the second. <laughs> So the bagel joint was this a was this a reaction to the lack of ability to find a good bagel? In this they town? came to me and they had this idea. They started in Florida, a very good company. They're franchising all over the country, and they said these we make the water. They make the New York City's the best water in America, and they make the water in a lab. You see it in the restaurant. They mm-hmm. show you the machines. Oh, really? To ma- to meet to match the New York water. Uh, to match the New York water, so they can boil is, the bagel. Which in is there. the equivalent? Correct. And water yeah. is the difference. That's right. And the the theme is the differences in the water. So, so the bagel, everyone who comes in says, it remind, they're back in Brooklyn. Really? Yeah, it's great bagels. Great oh, bagels. I, I, it's nice to know that. Do you think, and now this is the question, do you think that because your father you know, passed away at such a young age that part of your, your interest and in, in need to connect with people and know about them was some sort of search? That might that? be true. I, I never questioned that psychologically. I, I, uh, I know I lost something in not having a father. Because all my friends had fathers, mm-hmm. and I was like the boy without a father. Mm-hmm. So maybe that led to the need for. To, I don't know where it came from. It, the love to broadcast did not, because I wanted to be a broadcaster before he died. Mm-hmm. Um, and your first job was just on a radio. Was it a music show? It was a. I was a disc jockey. It was an all kind of station, small station. We had news, sports. I did everything. But I did. I did a disc jockey show in the morning, and then I did in the afternoon. I did sports and I did news, and you know, you learn the business from the ground up. Yeah. And then I got this interview show at a restaurant about two years right. later, and that's when I started. To, did you? Were you one of those guys that had to go all over the country at times to chase no, the no, work? No, it was all no? in Miami. I, my whole career was twenty years in Miami. Then I got the national radio show. We were the first network talk show. And then I always did local television. I did television as much as I did radio. Probably two years of radio and then television started, and I always did both. And then Ted Turner came along, and I'd interviewed him a few times, and he uh, he liked my work, and he uh, had CNN when they were five years old. I started on their fifth anniversary, and he liked me and hired me, and I didn't know what CNN was. Yeah. I didn't have it in my home. <laughs> <laughs> but it sure took off. And, uh, and that was it. That was the game changer, huh, for oh, you? Yeah, sure. Well, the radio was a kickoff because I got a lot of good write-ups and a lot of stories about that radio show. And that was 
Why was it so? Why did you get so much attention? Because it was the first national network talk show. And okay, I was the beginning of talk radio. Mm-hmm. I, I get a lot of credit as the beginning of talk radio in America. And you like what it evolved into? No, because it became a soapbox, screaming, yelling idiots, and a lot of what I hear is pop nonsense. And yeah, political. Crazies. No real. Dis- yeah, no real discussion. Yeah, political crazies. Mm-hmm. You know, and NPR is good radio. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know the the Limbaugh's and these yeah, guys yeah. are just uh, playing with a loose deck. Yeah, and a lot of it's an act. So oh, I know. Yeah, it's a, it's a, they're uh, they're hot. There's some good book. I came to respect Howard Stern. Yeah, sure. I used to when I was earlier on. I didn't buy a lot of that act, but now I I understand his maturity and he's matured. Yeah, I think so. I think that's I think true. He's a very good broadcaster. But I was raised by the Godfreys and. the it was class. Uh, whenever someone curses on the radio, it still drives me nuts. Does it? Yeah. Just doesn't fit right, right? It, it almost it's vi- right. it's like a violation. Can we pause a second if sure. I had to go to the men's room? Go ahead. Okay. <laughs> when I, you're older. I I'm looking forward to it. No, don't. <laughs> Okay, good. Um, what I, I think what I want to talk about a little bit is is your, your relationship with Jackie Gleason. How did you change a, your life? When Jackie moved down to Miami to yeah. broadcast, I went up to New York and came down on the train with him and uh, did interviews with him on a train. And then we had a big welcome Jackie to Miami dinner and I am seated. So I sat up on the dais with him, and uh, we got to be friendly, and he'd call into my radio show, and then he came on my television show. And he saw, he didn't mentor me, but he, he liked me. And I made a big switch. I went from a Channel 10 to Channel 4. Uh-huh. Went from the ABC affiliate to the CBS affiliate, and he did all my promos. I mean, he was just terrific to me. He got Sinatra for me. Yeah. Sinatra owed him a favor, and that was the return of the favor. Uh, he was a pretty, like, uh, huge personality, yeah. He right? was larger than life. You know, yeah. Everybody was pal. Yeah. Hey, pal. And uh, he uh, was at his house, and yeah. he, would, he was gregarious. He, was, yeah. he called himself a roaming Catholic. Uh-huh. Uh, he was <laughs> thought a lot about death, and he, the night before he died, uh, we got a call from his PR guy. Yeah. And he made a list of people to call and say goodbye, which is very touching. Mm. He had, uh, Jackie understood uh, human behavior. He liked my curiosity, and he, he, he was a compelling person to be around because he understood poor, he understood being down, understood being broke. Mm-hmm. And he lived life larger than life, mm-hmm. and he uh, I, he did. I, I loved the moment. I loved being live in the moment, and he appreciated that. He worked live most of his life in television. I worked live most of my life in broadcast. Anyway, they were doing a honeymooners once, a live musical for an hour at the Miami Beach Convention Center, and it was Saturday night, and I was in the wings watching mm-hmm. this show. And he comes off stage for a minute, and uh, he says to me, call Raimondos. 
and uh, tell him I want the spaghetti, but I want the la dolce spaghetti. And the guy yells, 10 seconds. Yeah. He says, I want that wine. Five seconds, Jackie. And they were doing this, and then suddenly he goes, what, Norton? <laughs> he went from me, knew right where his line was, right into the scene. Yeah. And I went, wow. Yeah. Wow. He was just so, he never rehearsed. He had this big fat guy that was a friend of his that did all the scenes mm -hmm. in rehearsals, and he'd watch that. And so he knew all the movements. So he had a guy stand in for him. Correct. And mm -hmm. so when you appeared with him, the first time you saw him, like Bing Crosby said, where is he? Yeah. <laughs> and they do a skit, and then yeah. suddenly the night is live. Yeah. Jackie would appear. And do you think he did that to keep it fresh for everybody? Yeah, to keep it fresh, but he knew where the, yeah, uh, yeah, he knew yeah. the layout. He right, knew yeah, the, yeah. Couldn't speak, couldn't understand a note of music, yet conducted orchestras for those capital albums. Mm -hmm. Had an instinct. Mm-hmm. And he understood the broadcast instinct. Well, he sort of was a pioneer in television, I think, right? Oh, yeah. Those, those, the Honeymooners and those early shows that Jackie did, the characters he did. Uh-huh. Uh, uh, the various ones, Reggie Van Gleeson, uh -huh. the bartender, and uh -huh. the poor soul. And, and he, he, just, he just was a tremendous guy to be around, and it was very sad when we lost him. And the, the problem with this, as youth goes on, my kids don't know him. Yeah. You know, and you mention these names to yeah. people, and anybody under 30, they don't know Jackie Gleason. Isn't that, isn't that sad and amazing? Yeah. Now, we knew, I knew people that pre was before my time. I knew the greats. Yeah. Like, who are you thinking? You know, when I, I knew what I was, I knew Lowell Thomas, mm -hmm. H.V. Caltemore, and Edward R. Murrow. I knew mm -hmm. these names. But these kids today, they don't know Vietnam. Uh huh. You know what I'm talking about. There's no, there's no real historical context anymore. No, for because things. of 24-hour news and yep. eat it up, spit it out, uh, and also the internet. Nothing has any context. I mean, it's just pictures. It's just bits and pieces. It's in and out, and yeah. everybody's yeah. a journalist. Yeah, everybody blogs. Right. People and the, the Twitter and yeah. Now there's a plus to that. Yeah. And uh, uh, Twitter could start a revolution. Sure. Um, uh, there's no privacy. That's terrible. However, yeah. the plus in that is they would have never caught the guys who started those blow-ups in Boston. If it hadn't been for cameras everywhere. Invading privacy. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's a, it's a weird, slippery slope, so, right? Yeah, and that's what o Obama faces. Yeah. In that, where do you draw the line yeah. between... When can I know what you're doing if I... It's a different world, right? We know that sure. somebody's going to come up with a nuclear weapon that's in your one hand and you could bring it into the country and blow yeah. up a building. Mm -hmm. So what do you do about that fear while you want to uphold the Constitution? And I'm a constitutionalist, so I don't want you invading my privacy. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand... <laughs> see, there's always on the other hand. However, <laughs> Hitler made a famous speech... In 1937, yeah. in which he said Germany was doing away with warrants. Yeah. Uh, when we come to your home, if the police come to your home, if you have nothing to hide, what do you worry about? But we're in great danger from enemy within in this country, and so why not let us look in your home if you have nothing? And the German people bought that. Yeah. I would bet that if you made that same speech in America today... 30% might say, yeah, well, I got none to hide. Right. I bet you're right. Oh, you're not me. Yeah. 
You're not coming into my house without Well, that's the one thing the Constitution protects is that no matter who's in charge, you have those rights. See, that's right. a, that becomes the tricky thing. It's when like right you now you've got a good when, guy in charge, but when, when they come looking for Jews again. When do you give up your rights? Right. right. That, that famous guy who said, first Hitler said it was only the communists. Right. Then he said it was only the Jews. Yeah. And then he said it was only the Catholics. Yeah. And then he said it was me. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yep. So when you th- but the weird thing is, is I went to, you know, Google the, the directions for here. And, you know, because you sold the house, you bought the house. It's on record as your house. You know, and I, you know, you have that same problem. It's weird. Tour bus right? goes every five minutes. Right the tour there. Tour bus goes by. Nothing you can do about it. Nothing. People take pictures. Does it piss Ellen, you off? Ellen DeGeneres lives two blocks up the yeah. road. She had no idea about the tour bus. Yeah. She used to live way up on top of a hill. They never got up that high. Uh-huh. Now she lives on a street sort of near the flats. Yeah. And she's going nuts. Is she? She's furious? Uh, we, oh, yeah, she's mad, but nothing you could do it. It's a public street. Right. And they go by and they take pictures. And I go, I wave to them. I'm nice. They're nice. But what am I going to do? Be mad at people? What are they going to do? <laughs> Bomb the house. One night, my little boy, when he was 10, yeah. went out front and said, yeah, he's in the bathroom. I want to wait a minute. <laughs> did, did they? <laughs> they waited? They waited. Oh, they sometimes see my car come back and they make U-turns. Yeah. Well, it's funny to watch this, but... That's, uh, that's, you know, eh, the Truman said, if you can't stand the heat, get out of the kitchen. So I chose a business in which if you do well, you get well known mm-hmm. and you pay a price. Mm-hmm. So I think you owe something back for that price. In other words, the ball player owes the kid the autograph. Yeah. Uh, there's no law that says he has to give it to him, but he was a kid. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, you were a ball player because somebody gave you that talent, whether it was God or whatever. Uh-huh. You had this talent. I was given this gift of this voice or this curiosity. Who, who gave me? I had this great Indian Swami tell me once. Yeah. Who, who gave you this gift? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's a good way to live. It's impossible to live this way. But he said, you don't have to believe in God or anything. When you open your eyes in the morning... Did you earn that? It's a gift, right? Mm. So give thanks to whatever. What do you believe in anything? You didn't you you have the right to open your eyes in the morning? Yeah. So give thanks for that and then give thanks for everything that happens to you during the day. So if it's raining, yeah. So what? Yeah. You know, you you woke up. Yeah, life's a gift. Yeah. Gratitude. So if I can have the skill to hit a baseball and someone's paying me five million dollars to hit a baseball. And a nine-year-old yeah. wants me to sign an autograph. I'm too busy for that. Are you crazy? <laughs> so I'm not going to smile for a tour bus when I'm living in this freaking house that if my mother and father saw this house, they would faint. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I never, you never forgot. And that's what I liked about Jackie. Gleason told me a great story once. Yeah. The first appearance Elvis Presley ever made was on the Jackie Gleason summer rerun show yeah. hosted by Tommy Dorsey. Uh-huh. And in order for an act to appear on the show, Gleason wanted to see them. Yeah. So he saw Presley came in, like, audition, mm-hmm. and he called him over and he said, listen, kid, you're going to be famous. You're going to be real big. I want to give you a bit of advice. Go out. Don't stay in. Go out. Talk to people. Because if you stay in, you're going to be the loneliest guy in the world. <laughs> Jackie went out. Mm-hmm. Always. Oh, Socializing, hello, how are you? Presley yeah. hid in the house. And look what happened. Died on the toilet. Yeah. Alone. Correct. Alone. Sad. 
Jackie went out. Yeah. He had a good time, Jackie. Jackie lived. Jackie had a good time. (laughs) Jackie, he knew how to drink. Mm Mm-hmm. And he knew how to... He wasn't a carouser like with women and Mm -hmm. stuff like that. He was... But he was... You like to stay up and party. Yeah, he was genuine. He was afraid to fly. Yeah. But he flew to work with Laurence Olivier in London. Uh Uh-huh. They did a two-character show for HBO. I wonder why HBO doesn't show it more often. Great story. I'm trying. Gleason loved the script. Yeah. Olivia played an Englishman whose wife had just died. Right, right. I kind of remember this. And the American Gleason went over for the funeral, and Gleason had had a 25-year affair with that man's wife. And they're in a bar. Yeah. And the whole hour is just the two of them. Was it great? It was great. And that's why he flew oh, yeah. to well, work with Olivier. Uh, yeah. Out of all the people that you've known in your life and talked to, who do you, outside of Gleason, who do, you, who do you find yourself thinking about and missing the most? Oh, I'm not missing. I've interviewed so many. But me seven have, presidents. Yeah. And Sinatra was a lot of, was interesting to be around because he was so complicated. Oh, yeah? It, oh, Frank was. Did he know how to have a, have a good time? Frank was unhappy. Yeah. Why? Because there was never enough. Nothing, sat, never, nothing satisfied him. Uh, when he was in a sad moment, like you said to me once, he said, you know, all my friends are dead. All my friends are dead. It was, like, it was so sad. <laughs> oh, you know? God. But he was never totally happy, except when he was on stage. Yeah, you don't think about it. Uh, yeah, you yeah. don't think about it. And yeah. his, 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 his understanding, his phrasing and... Um, if he liked you, mm-hmm. you could do no wrong. Mm-hmm. And if he didn't like you, you could do no right. Mm-hmm. He was there was no grays. Yeah, was, life was black or white. Uh-huh. And I was lucky enough that he liked me, <laughs> as Rickles would say. Well, I said to Don, "Well, what if he didn't like you?" And Don would go, "You, you have relatives in New Jersey." <laughs> <laughs> He's great. How's he doing? Are you personal Rickles friends? Rickles is all right. Yeah, I yeah. talk to him every once in a while. I see him every six months or so. We run into each other. He's an old, different. He's still working. Yeah. You know, he's 86 years old. His yeah. son died. I was sad. Yeah, I heard about that. Larry. Yeah, yeah. Know, but Don, Don and Mel Brooks and all of them. I was, interviewed Mel. That was, was great. at Caesar's house a couple weeks ago. Mel they was there. there Sid's yeah. not talking. Right. You know, oh, yeah. So you're one of the guys that goes up there to Sid's Mel, house? Mel goes. I don't go. No? Mel and, and Carl Reiner have breakfast every day at the same restaurant yeah. at Westwood. And they're still a riot together. Yeah, oh, that's them. great. They're great. 2000 year old man still the funniest. Still happens. Funniest album. They're living it now. Yeah, they are. They're, well, Mel is the funniest person I've ever known. Yeah. Because um, he's the classic. Woody Allen is in that, but not as broad. Uh-huh. Uh, Mel is the classic Jewish humorist. Oh, absolutely. A uh, 2000 year old man, if you listen to it, Kevly, was genius. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played it with him once. Right. I went up to uh, the New York World's Fair in 1964. The World's Fair was in New York. And in Flushing, right? In Flushing, in yeah. Brooklyn, and yeah. Queens. And I interviewed Mel there. Uh-huh. That's where I met him. Mm-hmm. And we played the 2,000-year-old man. And he'd go into it like that. I said, do you want to play 2,000-year-old man? I you said, just okay. improvised it? Oh, I just said yeah, it. Yeah. We're here at the World's Fair. Yeah. What do you think? You're 2,000 years old. He goes, fair. <laughs> I go, fair? Yeah. Look at all you see. That's fair. 
Then he said to me, were you with the first fair? Yeah. No, the first fair, 183 people came, the whole world. <laughs> and uh, we held it in a ravine, yeah. in a ravine, yeah. at the bottom of a ravine, and people rolled into the fair, which was one of the exhibits. Yeah. <laughs> and I said, well, what could have been, well, look, at we have a monorail. You have yeah. monorail? We yeah. had the burning bush. <laughs> we thought it was a ride. <laughs> but his best line of all was, what was the, I asked him? What was the big hit of the fair in 003? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, the big hit was Moses. Yeah. Moses parted the Red Sea. He did it two times Friday, three times on Saturday, yeah. four times every Sunday. Six drachmas. <laughs> 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 and he had a press agent who told him, "You keep doing this, Moses. I'll get you ten, eleven pages in the Old Testament." <laughs> and that, that mind, yeah, that can go that. Quick. Yeah, so quick. And uh, you not know where he's going to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I used to, I'd watch his mind, and he still has that. Mind. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. He still yeah. has that. Oh, yeah, he's very quick still. Yeah, I love being around him. So I guess before we, we wrap up, I, you know, again, I apologize for, uh, for the time mis- uh, miscommunication. But uh, so what, it, marriage, you believe in it? Well, obviously, I've been in enough, yeah. six, seven marriage. I can't even lost count. Eight, but, I think, one no, twice, not, right? Seven, one twice. Okay. But I never live with a woman. I never liked spending a night with a woman. I like to go home. Uh-huh. And if I was in love, I got married because uh-huh. that's where I was raised. And I always felt when I meet people who are married like 60 years, yeah. all the compromises they had to make. Yeah. All, I didn't want to do that. Yeah. So what I loved at 20 is not what I loved at 30. And what I loved at 30 is not what I loved at 40. Uh-huh. And sometimes I think back to people that I loved. What was I thinking? Uh-huh. But I was crazy for them then. Uh-huh. And in that time when I grew up, you got married. Now, this marriage has lasted 16 years. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's maturity. Maybe the difference in ages. The fact that she was in show business. What'd she do? She was a singer and uh-huh. actress. And she uh-huh. appeared in a lot of. She opened for Rickles and oh, Vegas, yeah. you know, very good singer, and she was, so she understood that if I had to go somewhere to do an extra interview, uh-huh. you know, she had her own show on USA Network. So she knew the business. Yeah, yeah, knew the business, which helped. She was a backup singer for the Osmonds, and uh-huh. her father ran Capitol Records, so even though, like, they're devout Mormons, yeah. they're also very showbiz. Uh-huh, yeah. And they understand sure. the business, which... Helps. Makes, yeah, helps. Yeah. Makes life a lot easier. And then having kids, of course. Look at it. I look up at that picture. That's yeah, adorable. Yeah, that's you, when they were three and two, I guess. Uh-huh. So you, you got know, no regrets, Mr. No, King? we go to Dodger Stadium, and they know that stadium. They've been going there since babies. Mm-hmm. They know it like the back of the hand. No oh, yeah. Rushes. Oh, yeah. So, and there they run around. You know, that's sit great. Down, go to different seats. They sure. sit behind the dugout of the visiting team, and uh-huh. they, they yell at the other players. and it's great. Just great life. Joy. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Any regrets? Uh, regrets. Um, if I had one day back in my life, the day I started smoking. Really? Yeah. I'm sorry I smoked. That's not too, that's not too horrible. And out, yep. of, out of all the powerful people you met? Uh, Couldn't name one. Um, but I mean, were you ever surprised? Like, let's talk presidents real quick, and then we'll finish it up. 
who surprised you the most as a person, both for better or worse, out of the seven or uh, six? Well, seven. Go, I'll run them down. Yeah, Nixon, so yeah. bright, yeah, and yet hung up. Yeah, little things yeah. bug him. Yeah. <laughs> uh, George Bush the first, yeah. the best guy in the world. Yeah, nicest, sweetest, care about you. Yeah, concerned guy. George Bush too, great baseball guy. Yeah. Uh, he invited me to the White House once. Yeah. Off the record. Yeah. Just no interviews, no yeah. nothing. We sat down for two hours yeah. to talk baseball. Yeah. Let's talk baseball. That was then it. I had just co- gotten to Washington. So he says, hey, I got to go to California. You want a lift? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I said, no, I just got here. He said, oh, jeez, we could have talked baseball for now. You love talking baseball, that guy. Reagan for his uh, humor. Uh-huh. And uh, the best of all from an interview standpoint is Clinton. Was steel trap mine. I like Jimmy Carter for his, his um, he, how much he cared about little things in detail. Uh, Gerald Ford was a great guy, just a good guy. There's something to like about everyone. Yeah. Obama for his mind, uh-huh. like like Obama's mind, uh-huh. and his he's so well within himself. Mm-hmm. By that I mean he he's very innered in himself. Mm-hmm. He's not going to wrap his arms around you. Mm-hmm. Clinton's going to hug you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I liked them all for different reasons. The most uh, incredible person probably was Mandela. Yeah, uh, because he was such a single, solitary, incredible figure and mm-hmm. still around. And mm-hmm. I had a, one of the great days of my life was I went to his house. I was in South Africa speaking tour, and I went to his house for lunch. And I had dinner with the clerk, mm-hmm. the man who freed him. Mm-hmm. So here's little Larry, yeah. little Jewish kid from Brooklyn. Yeah. I'm with Mandela yeah. and the clerk yeah. on the same day. But I was at Jackie Robinson's first game, and I interviewed him. And so I've lived through through history, and uh, and I've been on this journey. I wrote a book called My Remarkable Journey, and I... Pinch myself. I pinch myself every day. I was on relief as a kid. My father died. New York City bought my first pair of glasses. So I sit around and look at me, and, and yet I'll you know I'll complain if the plane is late. <laughs> what am I doing? I gotta run. All right, thanks, Mr. Thanks, King. Man. Yep. Anytime. Yep. So that's uh, so that was my conversation with uh, with Larry King, and I I don't I don't know if I made it, it clear uh, you know on the on the tape there, but. Uh, but he left me. He left me in his living room. Uh, he left me in his living room. He he took off, and that was that. And no one showed me out. No one, uh, you know, said thank you. He just went away. He walked into his house, and I packed up. And it, I should have taken something, a, a memento of some kind, an ashtray or something, just because I felt like, well, if you're going to leave me here, I, well, I mean, maybe it was trust on his part, but it, but it was bizarre, you know. I, I mean. Generally, if someone comes over to my house, I'll walk them out. Uh, I'll walk out on the porch with them. I'll say goodbye. Thank you. And then, I don't know if you know this, but I did Larry King's show online. Uh, I'm not sure what the, uh, how you get that, but you know, just uh, I'm sure you can just Google Larry King. And, and I reminded him about this experience, and I still don't think he really put it together. I, I really don't think he had, uh, and again, I'm humble. I don't need everyone to know who I am. But uh, maybe a little research, you know, like uh, he, he had no idea. We got along good on his show, you know, better than we got along in his uh, in his house. So that's it for today. Thank you for listening. Uh, again, uh, I appreciate you being there and uh, go easy on the ice cream. 
uh, be good to yourself. Why is this me saying this? Am I becoming that guy? Moon Zappa seems to think I should write a self-help book. Would that be helpful? Uh, would that be helpful? Do you think? I, I don't. I guess anybody can sort of throw their hat into that ring. Just make up something. Just put down on the page what you think works for you or what you think would happen uh, would work for other people, even though it doesn't work for you. Go to WTFPod.com. Mugs are on the way. The Christmas stuff, we are restocking. We're restocking. We're restocking the uh, the cap bowls, the T-shirts. I just got an email from Brian Jones, the genius potter uh, up in Portland. Um, he's got about 80 or so mugs on the way. Uh, we're going to do that. It's, everything should be up in the next week or so for uh, WTF pod Christmas shopping. Um, you can always go there and do what you need to do at WTFPod.com. Get some JustCoffee.coop. Get some, uh, you know, check in. Get the app. Some of you are newcomers. Okay? Only the most recent 50 episodes are available at any given point in time. All episodes are free for six months. And then you need to get the app for free. Upgrade for a few bucks to the premium app. You can stream all 400 and one, some odd uh, episodes. You can also get the DVD of the first 100 at uh, WTFPod.com if you'd like to get that for a Christmas gift or, or something. You can, uh, what else can you do? Do all that stuff, okay? Have a good Thanksgiving. I got to stay here. I usually go to my mother's, but I, I can't. We're shooting on Wednesday late, and then uh, I don't know where I'm going to go. I don't know what I'm going to do. I've been enjoying staying by myself. I've been enjoying being alone, but I, I don't think that you should do that on holidays. It's almost like if you if you don't hang out with other people on a holiday, you enjoy that. You enjoy the sad, self-pity uh, celebration. It's like, oh, everyone else. But actually, it's, it's sort of amazing, you know, sometimes when... When it's a holiday and everything is shut down, everything's quiet and nobody is out, and you just know that everybody's sort of, you know, doing their best to deal with family things and, you know, getting dinners ready and moving towards that, moving towards that, the the hassle, moving through the hassle of entry, the hassle of entry, and then eating and then dealing with all that. It'd be nice. Coop invited me over. I think I might go over there. I get a little panicky though. I mean, I know Coop. I love Coop, but I don't know. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm always concerned that it's that there's going to be nudity involved, and uh, I'm not. I don't know if I'm ready for that on Thanksgiving. Maybe I am. Maybe. Maybe I'll go. I was invited by uh, uh, Moon to go to her place. Maybe I'll go over there. That would be interesting. I don't know who's involved in that. The Zappa clan. Uh, but that's it. That's it. Those are the two invites that I'm weighing. I feel like I might have committed already. I just have to decide and negotiate what I'm going to do. Right now, I'm going to go blow my brains out with some Ty Siegel band Slaughterhouse. I don't even know this guy. I'm not paid to plug this guy, but but I'm enjoying the music right now. Need a lot of music. I need I need some sound all the time. I need some things kind of humming when I'm around. Maybe NPR in the background, some music. Boomer lives!